into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot. Pirates, it comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Penguins where you found this. Leland was one of eight candidates submitted submitted my eight members of the Baseball Writers Association of America to be part of the class, the next class of the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee submissions. And that applies this year to managers, executives, and umpires. Among the other people who are on that list are Cito Gaston, Davey Johnson, Lou Pinello, really well-known, obviously, managers in the profession. Uh, Joe West, the umpire who was around for a million years, Ed Montague, another one. It's going to take 16 members of the committee that does the voting, and that is not the writers. That's not the group that I'm part of. I've been a Hall of Fame voter for a few years now, but not in these special select committees. In fact, this particular committee has yet to be assembled. It'll be put together in time for December 3 at the winter meetings in Nashville. That's when we'll know whether or not Leland made it. I got to tell you, I, I try to avoid uh, any kind of sentimentality when even discussing the hall. And I definitely avoid it. I mean, I avoid it like the plague when it comes to actually casting my vote. So I'm a little bit glad I don't have a vote in this category. Because if there's one thing that Leland has achieved, not just in his managerial career, but in his life, is that he's made everybody feel like they're a friend. He's made everyone feel like he's known you and you've known him for years. And if you're one of the many, many, many people in our region, or for that matter, in Detroit or Miami or wherever else he's worked, who's encountered him, you know what I'm talking about. And believe it or not, I'm going to speculate here that a lot of you who are listening to this right now are nodding, going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I met him. I know him. <laughs> because that's the kind of impression that he gives off. Now, look inside the sport. Look inside the game. And that goes to another extreme. His players loved him, would run through a wall for him. Again, not just with the Pirates, but also with the Marlins, with the Tigers. Uh, you see the way he approaches the guys who used to play for him. They don't come up to him and shake his hand. They don't ask him how he's doing. They give him a hug as if they're seeing their long-lost uncle or brother. That's really who Jim Leland is. It's difficult to even talk about him without getting a little bit emotional. And it's definitely difficult to picture him being inducted into the Hall of Fame. This guy would cry at the drop of a hat. This guy would cry at Don Kelly's first base hit in the majors and then mean it. There's no one like him. There's no one like him that I've that I've covered. There's no one like him that I've known in the game. And 
picture him getting the highest honor is just something that's so through the roof that you can tell that I'm not even going to make any kind of coherent case here for him because I can't. I can't. I can tell you that it'll make a difference. I can tell you that out of whoever these 16 people are that they pick, there's going to be 14 of them who feel this way. I'm just guessing. And it, it shouldn't affect anything. You guys have heard me say, if you've been listening for a long time, you know, when, when I get accused of not having voted for Barry Bonds or 10 years because he was nasty with reporters or whatever else. And I tell you, and my easy response to that one is that every single interaction I had with Bonds was a positive one. He was terrific with me. Now, I also heard firsthand from a lot of others for whom that wasn't the case, but I had a nice, easy escape route on that accusation. But it also wouldn't have mattered. I could tell you, if I started dropping names right now of people I flat out couldn't stand that I've covered, and then I would show you some of the work that I did in written form about them, uh, their careers, uh, their performances at a certain time, even while I just bleeping couldn't stand the sight of them. You'd never believe that this came from the same person, but that's kind of half, that's kind of how you have to be in this role. You, you gotta be, I don't want to say cold because you gotta be passionate about your work, but you've got to be able to turn off the faucet when it comes to emotions, good or bad. I can't do that with Leland. I can't. And I don't know how many of the people on this committee are going to be able to do that. So what I'm trying to tell you is setting aside all of his uh, managerial victories, his triumphs, his, his three pennants, his World Series title with the Marlins, uh, the three division champions that he had in Pittsburgh overseeing the, the, the pre-roided up Barry. And the MVPs that Barry won here, the famous interaction between Leland and Bonds that one day in Bradenton. Setting aside all of that stuff, there are going to be people on that committee who really, really, really want him in. And it's going to take 75% of them, 12 of them, to get him in. I would not rule this out. When we come back, J1Q... This portion of Daily Shot of Pirates is brought to you by our friends at North Shore Tavern that's directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. It's home of Steak on a Stone, an eating experience, underscoring the word experience. The steak is brought to you partially cooked on an 800-degree stone, and you do the rest. It's a ton of fun, it's a great meal, and it's a baseball atmosphere like no other in Pittsburgh. North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. Your front door, your car, your bike, your computer, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Visit projectchildsafe.org. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.
Today's J1Q comes from Walter, who in reference to yesterday's episode that was led by Carlos Santana being a Gold Glove nominee and the possibility that he'll return to Pittsburgh, Walt asks, why did the Pirates ever even trade Santana? They had no first baseman. He did supply some power. He's good defensively. And and I guess that's just the Pirates' way. That's what makes you wonder why they do the things that they do. It makes no sense. Walter, if you hear it from their perspective, then it's going to make no sense. So I'm going to give you that first. They will insist that when they get to a certain point in the season and there's no hope and whatever else, that the Santanas, the G-Man Choi, the Rich Hill types, they're all expendable. And if they can move them even for middling prospects, invariably outside any team's top 30 list, they'll do it. They'll do it. They'll insist that it's just another way to continue building up the system, even though these prospects are so far off the other team's radar that they don't even make it into the mainstream top 30 lists. And that's what happened with all of those guys, with Hill, with Choi, with Santana. Now, if you hear my answer to your question, it's going to make sense. They were saving money. They were saving money. They're cheap. It's what they do. It's not even an accusation on my part. I'm not going for the low-hanging fruit here. It's just that obvious. That's what they were looking at over the final two months. Why would we be paying these guys all this money when we can save the prorated portion of their contracts? Hill was an $8 million player. So you send him out with two months to go, you can do your own math on that. Santana was a $6.7 million player for a year. Well, you're saving one-third of that. So you add all that up, and all of a sudden, it's just another five, six million, whatever it is, that's sitting there in your bank account, your corporate bank account. And I'm not, you know what? I'm not even going to criticize them for it. Okay, not in the broader sense. It is a business, and they do have a right to make money and be solvent, depending on who you believe, regarding how much they're making how much they're expending, and then you factor in that they lost their TV contract in midseason, and maybe there's some justification for it, whatever. My problem with it, and I think, without putting words into your mouth, Walt, your problem with it is that you had somebody here already that you'd have to be thinking to yourself, you'd at least be considering the possibility of bringing him back for 2024. That's something that Santana discussed openly even after the trade. That's something that Ben Charrington discussed at the time of the trade. That they'd be amenable to that. Both sides would be amenable to that. So what are you doing? What are you doing to save a couple million bucks, which is very, very, very little in the overall scope of the budget? When it's somebody who's that important, not only to you positionally for a year, but also in being O'Neill Cruz's mentor and working with him. And, you know, they just, they think first in that regard. People say, and I hear this all the time, you know, they don't care about winning. It's not true. 
They care about winning. They just don't care about it first and foremost. It's not the number one priority. If it happens, they'll enjoy it. They'll care about it. It's happenstance, though. And that's how it should be labeled. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates today, all week long. And yep, we're going to slog this out all off season as well. Let's do it again Monday. 